for example, I'd sit down on a chair and it'd be in the afternoon and I'd look up and it'd be dark outside and I would have been looking at the people's social media feeds for like that hour or two, mm. completely unaware of the time passing in my own life as I sat slumped on that chair by the window and then suddenly seeing that it was dark outside and I'd lost the time and only ever using the information that I was binging on obsessively and very unhealthily to bash myself. That was a snippet from Lucy Sheridan, who I am talking to today on the podcast. It's episode 47 of the Here to Thrive podcast, and my guest today is the comparison coach. Lucy Sheridan is an expert when it comes to understanding all the ways we compare ourselves and how it is hurting us. Maybe things you don't even realize you're doing. Specifically in this episode, we're covering how all humans experience comparison to a greater or lesser degree. None of us are immune. How comparison always brings friends. Yep, think things like jealousy. The importance of self-preservation and self-focus and how you don't need to feel guilty for that. What living a comparison-free life looks and feels like, and also how Lucy got her opportunity to talk to Oprah. Oh yeah, stay tuned. Welcome to Here to Thrive. I'm your host, Kate Snowwise. This is a podcast for people who are ready to step up and live a happier life. It's for those of us who are dedicated to understanding ourselves and getting the best that we can out of this thing called life. It's a mix of psychology and modern spiritual thought, always with a focus on practical advice so that you can take it back and apply it to your own life. I don't believe we're here to merely survive. I truly believe we're here to thrive. So let's get going. Lucy, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to us on Here to Thrive. I'm looking forward to discussing compare and despair. Oh, gosh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm going to bring all my best stuff. So, um, no, it's my absolute pleasure, Kate. Thanks so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Perfect. Bring it on. I want to start with you, Lucy, and your journey with comparison. Can you remember back to the first time you compared yourself or felt that kind of pain of comparison? Yeah, I can actually. And it's funny because part of this work, there are quite a few instances where I can remember being like a little girl and comparing myself. Um, one of which being, I think, when my brother was born and I was about five years old. And he kind of, you know, kind of was born and arrived on the scene. I remember thinking, hmm, I wonder if, you know, my mum and dad are going to love me as much as they love him now. I wonder if I'm as cute as he is. You know, I wonder, you know, I wonder, I wonder, just comparing myself against all these things, this little kind of like fleshy baby had brought up in me. So, yeah, I can go back back to probably five years old and if I went under regression I wonder if I could go even earlier actually but it's certainly something I know has been part of my life since I was a child yeah very early kind of a recognition of that it's so interesting that you're all the way back to five years old where did you go from that moment so your little brother's on the scene is comparison something that you feel like you lived with right through your growing up years yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, I, I think especially 
when we look at what it is to grow up as a human being on planet Earth, which I think anyone would agree is not for the faint-hearted, I certainly remember having a lot of conversations in my own head, and even with my friends, you know, comparing myself to other people, um, good and bad, like perhaps, oh, I'm better at swimming than that girl is, or I wonder if I'm going to get better test results than that boy. And I can remember it going all through childhood, into school, into the senior school, and then, you know, puberty hits, and you start comparing bodies and popularity and intelligence and you know opportunities and going on from there because certainly when it got to a level time which I think is called year 12 in and the UK you know when you're kind of 18 years old or 17 18 looking at what comes next comparison I remember being really present there too in terms of was I going to go to university if I was going to do that where was I going to study? Was that a good place? Was this a good decision? Would this lead to good life choices compared to other people? So, you know, that's a, a long way of saying, yes, it's something that's been present in my life to a lesser or greater degree my whole life, actually. Yeah. Is, do you think it's sort of intimately tied to this idea of competition? Sort of like the compare element is you're either winning or losing compared to someone else? I think that's like, yeah, a dominant almost myth about competition, really, because, you know, I have a much healthier relationship with comparison today. But I certainly think I held the idea that success, you know, and I'm using kind of inverted commas air bunnies when I say that word, that success was a zero sum game. That is a win for someone else was almost like a loss or, a la- you know, an opportunity taken away from me. So, yeah, you know, seeing people get different job opportunities, I might have thought, oh, gosh, well, you know, that means I'm not going to be able to get one. Or even, you know, seeing people improve their health, maybe losing weight would even lead to me feeling competitive, which would mean like, you know, I'll never be to do what they've done there even though you know one of my favorite expressions is the oak tree lives within the acorn the competitive you know the darker side of competition really drove me to really separate myself from people driven by comparison so interesting the zero-sum game I think so many people or so many of us sort of fall into that fallacy without even recognizing it Oh, yes, absolutely. And we're taught it from a young age, actually, in terms of work hard, it's competitive, grab the ball by the horns, someone else is going to get it if you don't. And, you know, like almost like there's this idea of a race, um, which is really quite damaging for young people, especially because you don't know any different. And it's only kind of having become a witness to my own comparison that I have now realized it's actually the opposite in the competition or even if people just achieving what they want to, other people, whether they're doing the same thing or you, you as not, it shows there's an opportunity out there for you as well. It provides evidence of, you know, abundance rather than lack, whereas that lack mentality really kept me very tightly in a trap before for, for a long time previously. The lack mentality totally makes sense. I want to hear a little bit about you and your journey, Lucy. So you talked about, you know, then you went off to college. Tell us about your college years, what you did, and how you eventually ended up as a comparison coach. Oh, of course. Yeah. So it's somewhat unexpected, really, because I remember from quite early on, from as young as even as 17, I'll be 34 soon at the time recording this. And as young as 17, I remember thinking I really wanted to go into advertising and creative industries. It was something that I think really appealed to me and something um, that I could really see myself thriving in. So from an early age of that career development, I tried to get as much experience as I could doing that. I ended up studying economics at university, which is often a big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, really? That's, I tried <laughs> economics at university, Lucy, and I dropped out of the paper halfway through. Oh, oh my, my gosh. Yeah, Painful. I did four years. It was 
intense um but yes i did economics and it was a part of you know coming to a conclusion of that getting to be like 21 entering the job market having not done you know on paper that well in my degree i got a second class on it like a 2-2 which was well below the power of a lot of my friends that were getting two ones on first so that was another comparison i was about to say i think that's pretty good but i like the way at the time your mind was comparing it to this this other level Absolutely. And considering what I was up against, don't worry, I'm not going to use this as my therapy session, but considering the, the very different background I had to other students on the course, I'm actually very proud of that. So I'm going to let go of that old story right here, right now. Perfect. Um, but I went from I went from university straight into a graduate scheme in the advertising industry. And it's not like we were saving lives or anything, but you know, you can't fail to know the weird, tricky dynamics of the advertising industry. It's very high pressured, it's lots of long hours. And I remember comparing myself to other people I was working alongside, people that were working in the industry at different places to me was a really raw point as well, because you know, when you're working in advertising, you're often defined by the brands you work on. So you want to work on the most glamorous the most innovative etc it's not always the case there and it can be pretty grueling work even though like i said we weren't saving lives or anything what i did find was when i kind of hit my mid to late 20s having had a bit of time traveling australia but come back to the world of work i did find that comparison started to really rear its ugly head especially around the age of about 27 years old and i went to my school reunion from when i was in about 16 years old which on you know at the time i thought was the worst thing i possibly could have done because of what happened afterwards but now I look at one of the biggest gifts ever because I've been comparing myself a lot especially offline to other people's lives and, and online on social media too. Things in my life were not very social media friendly. My then partner, but now husband, his business was going through some really tough times and we were going, we were just on the verge of losing our house, which did actually come to pass. So against that background, I went to my school reunion and there were a lot of red bottom shoes. You know, one um, woman left because she had to get up early because her interior designer was coming to her house. And I'm thinking, I don't even have a house. I'm not an interior designer. I haven't got these shoes. I haven't got this. I haven't got that. And again, that lack mentality really took took hold. The day itself, the school reunion, what I will say, Kate, is I had a great time. You know, we had some Prosecco. There was a great barbecue. Lots of chatting and catching up. New, you know, old connections rekindled, new, connection, new connections forged as well. But with that came everyone with their phones out, adding people on LinkedIn, adding on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, etc., etc. So my social media network I guess must have increased by 25% almost overnight and the dangerous thing there was is I wasn't clear at that time just how evil and advanced my comparisonitis had got because waking up into that following week having been to the school reunion seeing how other people were living their lives and then measuring that against the you know difficult and happy times I was going through at that time it was like waking up almost like in a Las Vegas of comparison because I suddenly saw where people were going on a holiday which was super glamorous you know the jobs they were going to the lives they were leading and my comparisonitis really it's almost I compare it to that scene in Jaws where the girl's out swimming on the horizon and one minute she's there and the next minute the shark's gone and she's just gone that's yep. what I feel it was like my comparisonitis, my comparing despair, grabbed my ankle and just dragged me down to the depths for a couple of years, which was a really, really dark time. But, you know, to chart that chronologically, going from having kind of light to kind of intermediate comparison into my career, 
And then having that part- partnered with a really difficult time in my personal life too, into my uh, mid to late 20s, that's when my comparison got really, really advanced and started to rear its ugly head in a way that I never could have imagined the impact it would have had on me, sadly. Oh, so would you describe that time, Lucy, as kind of like your dark night of the soul, that that time where you kind of have to trudge through the crappy stuff? Yeah, you know, I would. I heard that expression a couple of years ago and I thought, I can really identify with that. Yeah, I really feel like the crappy stuff was just always around. For example, I'd sit down on a chair and it'd be in the afternoon. I'd look up and it'd be dark outside. And I would have been looking at the people's social media feeds for like that hour or two. Mm-hmm completely unaware of the time passing in my own life as I sat slumped on that chair by the window and then suddenly seeing it was dark outside and I'd lost the time and only ever using the information that I was binging on obsessively and very unhealthily to bash myself. You know, it's interesting. I think some people use social media and life itself almost like a walking Pinterest board. And I love that. I think I'm ever more getting um, a grip with that, moving ever more in that direction. And yet for others, and including me at that time, especially, it was a real comparison trap, providing loads of content for me to bash myself and, you know, really negatively talk to myself as well. So, yeah, it certainly felt like a dark night for soul because it didn't matter what the weather was like outside. I just was always somewhere else. You know, I look back now and I'm kind of gutted with the time I wasted, or say wasted, or invested in my comparison. And yet I do know faithfully, and I say literally sitting here with the hand on my heart, I know my life would be very different today had I not had to, using your words, and it's absolutely perfect articulation of it, trudge through all that rubbish. Yeah. Do you see, I know you talk about social media a lot and it's one of the reasons I've always been drawn to you because I think that you call out social media for the the downsides and how it can be dangerous to us and our psyches. Do you right. see in your clients that social media can be a real trigger? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I kind of call myself the comparison coach, which I appreciate is the most niche job title available probably <laughs> right now. But, you know, if the cap fits, you've got to wear it. But yeah, comparison, I I call a comparison almost like the Trojan horse topic of conversation because pretty much all my clients, whether they are wanting personal um, life coaching support or brand and business advice to work with me in that capacity, they'll all start with, I've been looking around or I saw on Facebook or I noticed online that. And that's the place that I kind of have to meet them at to go into what that's there to show them and try and take, you know, transform that into action for them, try and transform that comparison into self-love, self-compassion, self-focus and you know, really self-action or just plain old action, really. But yeah, comparison is always, always the opening part of the conversation, which will take us to really where they need to go. But I think what's important about having that conversation too, though, Kate, is that for me, I think comparison is treated like a bit of a taboo like a bit of a kind of dark topic that no one really likes to talk about in that you know, if you say you compare yourself to someone or something or you saw something that made you feel like negative about yourself people are very quick to say oh just get over it or, you just got to get your own plan or just ignore it well you know I don't know about you but no one's ever started a sentence with just and I've really got anything about it <laughs> <laughs> just yeah oh just don't feel that way it's like, oh thank you thank you um guru that was so useful it. yeah <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Oh, I know what to do now. I'll just reprogram. <laughs> and and that's what kind of frustrates me, but also um, excites me in equal measure in that I don't think comparison is just something we get over and just something to ignore. I think it's a bit of a jewel that is trying to teach us something different. But unless we can hold the stare and walk through some of the negative feelings it gives us, we're not going to get the jewel 
from it. But it really frustrates me how I, I, that it's almost treated like a lesser than type subject or taboo, because I think it's something which is broadly and deeply experienced. My clients run from pop star, I joke about like pop stars to pub owners, because that's the truth. You know, it doesn't matter what your backgrounds, you know, what your social media numbers are. Like some of my clients are Instagrammers, so they're into the hundreds of thousands of followers. Like Instagram is their job, not just part of the you know channel they seek. And it's absolutely what's well, absolutely clear, like a golden thread that runs through the different clients and conversations I have is that comparison is something that is, I think, um, experienced by humans everywhere to a lesser or greater degree. So the more conversations we can have about it and just soften ourselves to be there for each other around it as well, I think is, is just so important. I so hear you. And I agree. I do think that comparison is almost a taboo subject, one that we certainly don't give credit to or enough yeah. attention to. I just thinking back to my own journey with starting an online business, just like every online entrepreneur at the start, I didn't have any followers. And I can remember looking at other people's pages and looking at their images and looking at everything. And I got to the point where I was like, much like you're saying, if you were comparing your life, I was comparing my business. So I think it's really interesting that you work with both individuals and business owners or entrepreneurs, because the last time I remember comparison really affecting me or kind of sucking my energy out of me was definitely around when I was starting my business. And I can remember just going through and being like, unfollow, unfollow, unfollow. Yeah. If there was any yeah. pages that kind of roused that sense of jealousy, I would even say that sometimes I felt jealous, you know, like, yeah. Why can't yeah. I do that? And why does hers look so much better? And I was like, I have got to let go. It's not healthy to be obsessed with so-and-so's page or whatever it might be. And it was really freeing for me to go through and unfollow and unsubscribe from a bunch of email lists. Like, I don't need this in yeah. my sort of newsfeed, literally. I don't need this coming up as news when it's not news to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I really, really agree with that. Because like you said, I have this expression I use, which I think is quite evocative, because everyone, I, well, I say everyone, but I think it's something that a lot of people relate to. And that the thing about comparison is it always brings friends. So it will not <laughs> bring the comparison, it will bring jealousy, envy, yeah. um, bitchy, like bitchy leaks. that is brilliant it's not not just oh I'm comparing myself because I wish I could have that sometimes we compare ourselves saying she has no right to have that or he Mm. doesn't deserve that he's a fake or whatever you know it brings a lot of negative judgment as well of ourselves and others too and that's why self-preservation while you are you know, working on self-focus and building and in creation mode is absolutely important and unfollowing and clearing space um, just like you would like try and keep a nice clear desktop, you know, we'll try to in my case, but, you know, try, try to have your best foot forward in those ways too is absolutely fundamental. I follow and unfollow people all the time. It's really like, you know, the stock exchange going up, going down, going up, going down. Like, I'm, I'm re- I wouldn't say ruthless. I'm just very clear about it. If I see something that triggers me, I know that's an alert and a flag for me to work on something. So once I've got the learning, what I need to do is remove that specific trigger so I can concentrate on the growth what I don't need is kind of like someone pushing me off the pony almost every time I see their content because I recognize it's all my stuff because that's all you know we'll each compare ourselves to totally different things people brands and and whatnot but it's ultimately a mirror to our stuff which is really uncomfortable and yet when we can kind of accept that we don't have to be 
happy about it and roll around in it, throw it around like glitter, that if we can accept that, then a, a lot of growth can come in. But unfollowing, as you write, you're already well on your way to like doing K and already exercising that muscle really strongly. It's just absolutely fundamental in this day and age in the online world, whether you're an entrepreneur or not. It might be you just don't need to see your sister-in-law's kids every other day. You know, whether it's sister-in-law or not, if your feed doesn't make you feel good, then the content shouldn't be in there. And I have a, an exercise which I do with clients around the house party rule. That is apply the house party rule to your social media feed. So if that person, brand, thing or idea wouldn't be invited to come to your house party, dance on your table, drink all your booze, eat all your food, mix with your best friends, then they shouldn't be in your social media feed. Yes, even your boss. Yes, even your sister-in-law. Yes, even your best friend. Because, you know, I know people, and perhaps I'm even one of them, actually, that maybe my online persona isn't a very faithful representation of my 100% offline life. Because we all participate in the fame bubble. And if I was to kind of bring up my Instagram, Instagram feed now, I'd see kind of, Kanye West playing with his kids and then I see my friend's burrito that she's having like on holiday in LA and then like beside each other. So we're all participating in the fame bubble. But while we're doing that, we're also triggering and being triggered. So we must protect ourselves and really cultivate a feed which is nourishing and fun and challenging in all the right ways. Because I also think it's important to flood your feed with things that make you feel good. And I kind of joke, why follow one husky puppy account when you can follow 20? If you love husky, husky puppies, let's get them in your life, you know? I love that. And I, I'm a little bit obsessed with corgis. I have one. Yeah. I had one when I was growing up. But I have done that with my Instagram feed. I follow a number of corgi accounts. And whoa, the joy I get every time a cute fluffy corgi <laughs> pops up. Seriously, if anyone needs any more joy in their lives, go and look up cute fluffy corgis. Just the hashtag fluffy corgi will make you smile. <laughs> Brilliant all about the fluffy corgis they're the queen's dog too and i mean you are english lucy <laughs> right actually sovereignty sovereignty all the way well my, my um, while we're sharing guilty pleasures mine is golden retrievers oh I, yours, your golden retriever is so beautiful oh, she is an absolute supermodel i do call her the mariah carey of dogs because she's a bit of a diva <laughs> uh, but we love, we love her for it but yeah I, you know i'm apply that rule myself i follow like a million instagram accounts and sometimes i have to be careful because i'm like I don't want to compare myself to this cor this um, corgi or golden retriever account that's got like 200,000 followers and I'm sitting here trying to grow my following. It's not really like for like, you know, comparing yourself to a dog. <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, dogs are too adorable. I do. I do have a few dogs on my feed. I love what you're talking about, though, and that we need to sort of be responsible for how we cultivate our news feed. So is that how you tell your clients to manage it because is it really I'm thinking it's not necessarily realistic to shut down all of our social media accounts especially if say you have an online business or something so how do you manage social media in a way that doesn't mean that you're constantly comparing or getting the bad side of it I think the management term is absolutely right here yeah I don't people are really surprised by this I don't advocate digital detoxes very often at all because for me this is the like this is the way things are going now. So it's kind of, I think it's the invitation is to evolve and be discerning and considered and conscious and manage our relationship with social media rather than just shut it down and cut it off cold turkey because I think that doesn't always have the best effect either. It does work for some people. I absolutely understand that. I think management's really where it's at and starting from there and doing it every day in terms of being management of it. For me, that means not always being online. I know when I'm when I'm in overwhelm, the last thing I need to do is be online. So I just won't post. I won't check. 
and I'm there and I'm present but it's not conditional on on my day and having it involved there. I think it's super important to manage it and be really discerning about it and also do it regularly too. So I don't like the word cull because I think it sounds really, really ruthless. So I don't want to think about culling people. That just sounds, just doesn't vibe with me. But managing the content of those I'm seeing on my social media feed is key. Just because you unfollow and hide the feed temporarily for a short while while you're getting back on your feet doesn't mean you are disengaging or unsupportive of the person. And I, I've had a, a kind of funny few conversations, I say funny, but uh, similar conversations recently in terms of people saying, well, that's all right for Facebook. But what about Instagram? You know, if you unfollow on Instagram and then you follow back, people know. And I think this is an invitation for us all to be a bit more grown up, if you'll excuse the somewhat kind of harsh terminology there. Um, it's OK for us to say what we think and be heard. And it's okay to put our feelings and thoughts first and actually our mental health first over the um, opinion of someone else that may or may not feel that opinion. So I was chatting to a friend and she said, I really want to follow back this account. But if I do, they'll know that I've unfollowed it. And I, I recounted an experience I had recently. I unfollow my friends and also people I don't know online all the time. And I follow them back with equal measure. And I once had an, an account of someone who I'd say is like a business buddy. You know, I wouldn't necessarily invite to go on holiday with me, but we're cool you know we're good enough friends I could take her for dinner you know and I unfollowed her and then followed her back a few months later so she hadn't noticed and followed and she was like oh goodness sweetheart like did you unfollow me did I do something wrong and I said to her no absolutely not some but some of the things you were posting were triggering me and making me feel like I was in comparison so I unfollowed so that I would be all right and I wasn't triggered and now I'm feeling much better so I'm back and I'm looking forward to seeing like what you're doing when you're traveling in Barcelona and I hope that your husband's okay etc and just was really honest about it but know in my response there how I didn't apologize I kept it about me because well it was about me and I just shut it down how did she respond? Was she welcoming of that response? Because yeah. I, if you said that to me, I'd be like, cool, no worries, Lucy. That, like, awesome to have you in the fold. Yeah, that was her response. Just like, okay, cool. Like, glad you're feeling better. And then I think she said, like, anyway, um, did you get, are you going to so-and-so's book launch party or something <laughs> like that? And it moved on quite quickly from there. It's just not a big deal. I like that, you know, you're saying it's about owning your own mental health and talking about comparison being someone else's stuff triggering you and working on your own stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And it really is the biggest invitation for that, which is awkward because it's easier to judge someone else and decide if they deserve it or not and have lots of opinions about them and talk at length about them. I have a few people that um, have some triggers and they talk to me about them, those triggers all the time. And I have to say, look, babe, like, I'm behind you. I support you. What are you going to do about it? And sometimes they have to say that back to me as well, because as much as I'm an expert and specialist in this, I'm not a guru on a mountaintop here to preach that I've reached this perfect state of enlightenment. So, you know, follow me and never feel comparison again. Because comparison has been such a difficult um, presence in my life, I aim to live, say, 80% comparison free 80% of the time. And considering I've gone from being completely obsessed with comparison and trapped in it, I look at that as really, really good odds, always aiming for progress, not perfection mm -hmm. around this. And it can be really, really challenging to bring the focus back to ourselves and get to the so what piece. So for example, if I feel comparison now against someone or something, I'll often, you know, sit and put my hands on my heart and be like, you know, so what? What, what's the answer here? Because I do believe that the comparison trigger is holding a jewel of 
insight for us, which can help us get to where we need to be. So if I could share an anecdote with you, I had a client who came to me and she had a lot to say about her former friend's travel arrangements and travel experiences. So for example, she knew a lot about when this friend was going, you know, checking in, she was really triggered by her checking in and departure lounges, you know, taking those, um, we call that, you know, the sausage leg selfies when you're on the beach. Um, <laughs> the sausage you know, leg well, selfie. Yeah. You know, another sunset, another departure lounge, you get, you know, another skyscape, you get the drift. And I, um, you know, she was really jealous, you know, to be honest, about um, this friend and her travel and adventure lifestyle and how much culture she was getting to experience. And I, you know, through the process of the coaching conversation, I was able to say to the client, when was the last time you had a break? And it became really, really clear to me and her indeed as well that she hadn't made time for herself at all, really, in, I mean, months, if not years. And actually, her need for some adventure, her need to answer her own appetite for travel was growing and growing, and she was ignoring it, and ignoring it, finding it much easier to compare herself to her former friend. Um, so her ultimately, her comparison had nothing to do with her unhappiness, excuse me, had nothing to do with the air miles of this woman and had everything to do with the fact she hadn't really batted, gone out to bat for herself and what makes her feel alive in months, if not years. Now, that was a really uncomfortable truth. But when she got to it, she could do something about mm. it. And she didn't waste time. You know, I think it was the Monday morning after that conversation. And she was sitting in her, you know, her, her boss's office before he'd even and got in and taken his coat off and was saying, you know, I, I need some time off and we need to get this booked in and it's non-negotiable. And she was able to really hit the um, hit the emergency button and get the help and support she needed, which was really forthcoming. And her boss was even like, bloody hell, I was wondering when you were going to get some time off. You seem to be here more than I do. And it's my business. <laughs> so interesting, isn't it? What a beautiful example of getting to the truth underneath what is triggering your comparison. It leads really nicely into my next question, which is how does this need to compare ourselves? How is it hurting us? What kind of things do you see in people, the emotions and the experiences that you see in your clients? There's a real scale to it, Kay. You know, at the lesser end of the scale, there are things like it leads to procrastination. People that know they what they've got to do, but don't put the necessary steps in action or take, you know, take the steps they need to in order to get their own version of happiness, whether that's relationship, work, holiday, you know, travel, whatever. And that can be, you know, that can provide inconveniences. But on the other scale, the results can be a lot more damaging and it can lead to complete paralysis, absolutely de a massive depletion of self-confidence. It is also very much tied to the topic of self-worth and our own self-worth as well. So comparison can really take you to some pretty dark emotions and that are linked to some really serious feelings. You know, really complex emotional states and experiences too. So comparison ultimately can, can trigger all sorts of things in us that are waiting there for us to accept and integrate into ourselves, whether that's a leaning towards procrastination, taking a bit longer than we should do to get going or what we need to, right through to us completely giving up on ourselves mm. and, you know, throwing the towel in. Yeah. And it can be distressing. You talk also about living a comparison-free life, Lucy. What does comparison-free feel like? What does this term mean to you? Oh, gosh. One of my, this could be my favorite question I've ever been asked. <laughs> I've asked me this outright before. 
to me, it means living a life free from the conditions of comparison, free from the opinions of other people and making decisions for myself and, you know, those that I love from a place of real self-focus and alignment as well, not from a place of should or it would look better if or so-and-so is doing something. And that runs down from lunch right through to where I want to go on holiday, where I want to take my business, who I want to hang out with, the clothes that I want to wear. You know, you and I work in the wellness industry, Kate, and it can be really easy to think you have to be into green juice and into yoga and into meditation and into going to Bali and into this and into that. Just like every industry will suggest those different conditions and things like the wellness industry isn't unique to that um but I want to always be discerning with my choices so if I don't want to go to yoga I'm just not going to and that's part of being comparison free that doesn't mean that I don't love people that do yoga I just know it's not for me I don't find myself on a map thinking well I should be here because everyone else is doing it I know that in my own journey and when we were talking about sort of launching my business, I noticed that when I was aware of my comparison, that when I stepped back from that, I was able to be so much more authentic. And I see living a comparison-free life as being really in tune with that authenticity piece about showing up in the world as you are, not who you think you should be. Yes, that's really it. And it can take, and it's certainly, I'm, you know, I call myself like a walking case study. I'm always <laughs> learning something about this. I'm always making me tripping over something or coming, you know, boom, something coming back again, another lesson. And I think it's really an aimful point of, like you say, around being comparison free and just being from a place of really self-alignment on what you want to be doing because every moment is really an opportunity to assess you know why am I making this call for myself why am I taking this decision um and I, and I think it's necessary in order to really live comparison free that we do take it choice by choice as well and only aim for progress not perfection I don't think I'll ever be free from comparison if I am that means it's got nothing left to teach me and I don't really want to ever stop learning Look, I ask everybody a little set of intermission questions just to mess things up a bit, Lucy. So it's your turn now. Okay. (laughs) Are you a morning person or a night person? Could I be controversial and say daytime? Like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., I am fire. I want to hear about this. So 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., you're fire. You know that I can't schedule a work call before 10 a.m. because I am pretty much useless before then so I maybe I am somewhere similar so nighttime you kind of wind down morning's a little bit of time to warm up well you you got it really I one of the reasons I'm not I wouldn't say a morning person is because from working in the advertising industry and if anyone's worked in any sort of corporate or you know formal place of work and maybe not entrepreneurship or kind of flexible flexible creative places I guess you'll know what it's like to sit at a desk and what it's like to try and be sat at that desk by a certain time also working in advertising, it wouldn't be unusual for me to be sitting up at night at 2 a.m. making slide decks, making amends to things um, for presentations, for meetings, and it was exhausting. And I promised that girl, if I ever if I ever worked for myself, which I obviously do now, that I would always sleep the commute. So I don't get out of bed till half eight. I And it's just that's a condition of my day. If At the weekend, I just sleep until I wake up. Um, so my sleeping, sleep is really grounding for me. It's, there are a few um, exceptions with, I have a couple of clients in Australia. So I start their 
um, sessions at 8 a.m. because it's kind of early, mid-evening for them. So that's a really good mix. But I couldn't do that every day. You know, it kind of happens a couple of times a fortnight because the work I do. Um, but yeah, my morning routine and morning space is non-negotiable. And I'm kind of by 10 a.m. I'm really ready. You know, like you said, it warmed up. In the evenings and nighttime, I just want to chill. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of not spent, but I'm just choosing to relax. That doesn't mean I don't have ideas, but I also trust that um, the idea will still be there uh, in the morning when I get up too. I I had a couple of nights, because I've just relaunched my website, I had a couple of nights where I was really in the zone and was whipping through some um, content. And I looked at the the clock on my computer and it said quarter to 12 at night, but I didn't, you know, run to put my pajamas on. I just thought, oh, okay, well, I should probably go to bed. (laughs) But it wasn't, um, I I, I don't really rely on any time of day to have ideas but I know that when it comes to my energy and me being prime and doing the work we do Kate we've got to turn up feeling vibrant and that we can really give freely of ourselves in the you know the most positive way possible I know that daytime's where it's at for me really it's so interesting you talk about that need to feel vibrant because that's one of the things I underestimated about working for myself or working in the coaching yeah. world. Admittedly people if you're listening out there and ex- and thinking about a coaching business or Uh, working for yourself I know that my business is so much better when I'm vibrant whereas I used to turn up to my corporate job and it didn't really matter how I how I felt I'll just turn up anyway and check in now you can't really turn up hungover to your own job and I feel like yeah the energy has to be right but that's just me no, I completely agree. And I think there's something, you know, about honoring the time with people too. So there'll be some clients that will say, you know, oh, can we do evenings? And, I, and I'll say, and I'll always propose, you know, Saturday mornings are great. Evenings, not so much. Like the occasional one, sure, because it's not, I'm not a robot. So it's not like five o'clock comes and I have to like, uh, you know, I disinflate myself from the power I've been plugged into. <laughs> and I know what my optimums are. And because I run, you know, they run the business in a way that I can be my most vibrant I'll suggest them, hey, how about 10 a.m. on a Saturday instead? And they'll be like, fantastic. Yeah. Now, some of my coaching pals have said, Lucy, you can't be coaching on the weekend. I'm saying, well, I can kind of do what I want. And also, um, if I, that works for me and it works for the client, then brilliant. Better that than me sitting there at quarter past six, like having to have 10 iced coffees and psych myself up for something. Oh, I hear you. I do I do, <laughs> do nighttime slots. And I recently, I, I had done like five in a week or something at night. And I was like, this is outrageous. It was outrageous. So now I'm down to only two slots a week that I'll do nighttimes because it needs to be manageable. You got um, it. You yeah. got it. So I had to go to the extreme before before getting it sorted. All right. What is currently on your nightstand, Lucy? I've got um, a, a number of crystals, quite a few essential oils. Cause I've got an essential oil diffuser, some medicine because I've just I recovered from. I had a pretty pretty bad cold the week before last. Um, I also I had some books and a Kindle, and I've got an oracle, a tarot deck as well or is it an oracle deck yeah so it's a bit of a mess on there truth be known Kate <laughs> I, I want a few more details what's your favorite essential oil or do you use different oils for different things Ooh, okay frankincense oh I I'm a junkie frankincense. too isn't it good yeah I think it's just it's such an op- opulent smell and I think it's like whatever the weather it just kind of picks me up and I really love love how, having the smell especially in my bedroom here too so yeah I've got so I've also got the I've got some doTERRA and one of the blends I've got is Peace from that which I really like as well so I'll often put that on in my diffuser maybe half an hour before I go to bed so that when I come into the room it's already smelling really nice the crystals I've got are citrine 
uh, lapis lazuli. And I've also got a little bit of wood from an ancient woodland, which I took. But I did ask the wood first if I could take it and it said yes. So I'm not just kind of playing fast and loose with nature. (laughs) (laughs) I so appreciate you. You know, the first time I um, put frankincense in my diffuser, you talked about being opulent. I literally got a headache. I think it was too intense for me, but now I love it. Yeah, you've just got to work up to it, haven't you? (laughs) Totally. Do have to work up to the frankincense. All right, your favorite self-care activity, do you have one? Yes, I would say so. It's interesting around, if I could share just a few views on this, like self-care is a funny one because if we're not careful, it gets bubbled down to kind of good quality chocolate and taking the odd bubble bath, you know? (laughs) Which to me is just like the very, that's just like the fast food version of it. (laughs) Self-care for me is saying no when I mean it, saying yes when I mean it. Oh, um, you know, run so your diary and you run your life. Yeah, exactly. I'm really discerning about how I spend my time. Not because I'm the most important, I'm a diva, but just because I know what happens if I don't. I get burnt out. I overrun my engine and I get cold like I did a couple of weeks ago, which took me out. I had three days in bed. I've been that ill in years. So self-care, saying yes when I mean it, saying no when I mean it, asking for help when I need it as well. Also, I recently got into like goddess baths. And full moon rituals, which are a little bit witchy, but just hear me out. But what that really does is allows me to check in with myself. So when I do a full moon or new moon ritual, that means that that's two a month, which means that 24 times in a year, I am checking in with myself what I want, what I don't want, what I'm grateful for and want to hold on to. So that's a big part of my self-care routine. And with Goddess Bath, that's really just submerging myself in warm water in a, a great book. I think we all need an invitation to do that. And mixing that with the moon cycles, I think is a great idea. You know, one of the big things I say in my coaching is the power of self-reflection. And if you don't give yourself the space to do that, you can't be intentional about how you're living your life. So I just see that as a perfect example of building in these check-in points, which are beautiful. Yeah, exactly. I think it's just so important. Um, Something that I'm just really conscious of this year is my word of the year is potent or potency. And I just want to be kind of all in whenever I'm spending my time. So I'm not going to read books that I think five chapters in, I haven't got the hang of. I just don't think this is for me. (laughs) You know, I'm not going to finish meals I don't like. I'm not going to spend time doing things I don't want to do. And I'm conscious, excuse me, that that could come over as horrendously arrogant. But please trust me, my intention and the energy of it isn't that. I just really want potency, having lived a lot of my life really not experiencing that and not being all in on things that's what's really important so any self-care practice that I really feel nourishes me is fantastic and reflection is key to that too Kate because that's the sort of thing you can do on your butt on the bus isn't it you don't have to have any special stuff or really access and tune into yourself in a way that's really meaningful and nourishing to you You know, I was speaking to a client last night. It was one of my nighttime sessions. Uh, She was talking about how she'd just been on a long flight and how she finds that every time she gets on a plane, she automatically goes into this state of self-reflection. And I was like, how beautiful is that? I mean, more useful if you travel more, obviously, but what a nice trigger for her. I love that, Kate. You know, oh, I would say as well, my friend always meditates when she's on a plane because she's like, you know, you're close to the stars, you're closer to like the quantum cosmic energy. Um, and I don't. I sit and I like, have a glass of wine, read my book and like chat to my friends. But <laughs> that's actually <laughs> thing to do as well. The reflection that comes through and just tuning into yourself 
what a perfect example to be kind of sat in a seat, often on your own, not necessarily being surrounded by people you know, and know that that's that protective time. No Wi-Fi. That was no it. She said no Wi-Fi. I can't check my emails. I can't distract myself. It's just me, myself, and I. What a hero. I'm going to borrow from your client because it's a really wonderful idea, you know. No, get on that plane and trigger that, that reflection time. Well. A blooming well. <laughs> All right, your favorite book. And before we go into this, I just want to do a little shout out for the fact that you're actually an author and have a book as well, don't you? So do you want to start there and then you can tell us about other books that, that you have or that you, you like reading? Um, the book, I'm a Hay House author and um, I co-authored a book called Higher Selfie with my friend and business partner, um, Joe Westwood. And it's Higher Selfie, Wake Up Your Life, Free Your Soul, Find Your Tribe. And I guess you could call it almost like an introduction to spiritual or conscious thinking feeling and living really written in um, essays and that cover topics which are kind of meaty like forgiveness comparison success being aligned having good boundaries etc so I'm really proud of that that was out last year and doing it still doing really well so yes and also myself and yet my favorite book hmm this is a great question there's an author called Jen. I'm going to start with kind of self-development first because this is an author I discovered about 18 months ago. And you know, Kate, when you find the work of someone, it feels like coming home, like the sound of a thousand pennies dropping. Oh, I know that feeling, yes. Yeah. And it hadn't happened to me in a little while before I found this lady. Her name is Genevieve Davis, and I found her book on Amazon. And there's a book that she wrote as part of a series of book, four books, which are really short, really accessible, um, called Becoming Magic. And, you know, in plain terms, I guess you could call it a guide to manifesting. And yet that does not do it justice in terms of the, what it gave me was a connection. I feel quite emotional about this, but it gave me back my connection with myself, which I somehow had dissolved in a way. It really was the start of a really proactive time of active self-worth work for me, which I have seen improve my business, my relationships, the most important things, my relationships in my life, and my relationship with myself as well. So Genevieve Davis' Becoming Magic is a self-help book that I really, truly enjoy very much. And then when it comes to favorites, like when it with fiction even, I think it's got to be, oh goodness, such a great question. What did I read? You know, I kind of, I really love a bit of fiction where it just kind of keeps you driving. I'm clicking my fingers now, like, you know, a really good read. I love to get the girl on the train um, uh, when I read that last year on holiday. And also there's another book I read on holiday last year called The Miniaturist, which has really stayed with me too. Something, well, I would add reading as a self-care ritual too. So I was very um, grateful to get the Audible app recently which I know is kind of cheating so I'm not sitting there reading the words off the page but just getting that access to fiction and people's work read by them it's been just so exhilarating mm, you know I got like full body tingles when you were talking about Genevieve and I can feel the emotion I'm, I'm so looking yeah. her up so yeah, please do, Kate, because um, I've got the books. And I've also got the audio book. I've got it off iTunes where I've got the Audible app. And every so often, I'll just, when I take my dog out for a walk, I'll just put it on and I'll have it as I'm kind of walking along. And I live by, I live in uh, in Hove, very near Brighton on the south coast of the UK. And I'll kind of walk my dog along the seafront and I'll just listen to those words just when I need that little bit of a top up. Yeah. And also when I am in a time of overwhelm, I'll go straight to that as well because I just find it soothing. 
and it reminds me and reactivates the things in me which bring back my calm and bring back my feelings of feeling safe because um it, it's interesting like i'm sure kate you're aware of the work of danielle laporte and her desire map work and setting goals with soul you know i've never read it but i'm aware of it yeah well you know what it's kind of it, it it's not for everyone i read it a few years ago really liked it but what stuck me were the easy to do principles um and you know having core desired feelings that is identifying feelings that you want to feel uh, duh but by doing that like designing your life so that you feel them and then that's you know watching life unfold from there so one of my core desired feelings is feeling safe which isn't very kind of power move tony robbins style wording like exhilarating or i want to feel innovative i want to feel safe because when i feel safe everything's all right I make really good decisions. I, you know, I have some of my best ideas when I'm just sitting having a cup of tea without under no high octane, you know, adrenaline sports to do or anything like that. And I also don't rush in my life too because I don't feel like the need to be in a fight or flight mode. And I think that's what's um, so important is anything you can do in life, whenever you feel overwhelmed, you're not feeling too good, if you can just feel safe, that whatever that is, whether that's eating something, cancelling going to the cinema, or sending an email, like communicating how you feel. If you can just feel safe, life's brilliant. You know, I have this expression like, you take care of your root chakra and it'll take care of you. Mm. And I think that's really important. So for me, Genevieve Davis and her work is part of my self-care ritual and part of my way of living in terms of going back to myself. It gives me the prompts I need to remind me of my resourcefulness and that I'm loved and supported. And from there... I kind of feel like I can do anything. You know, I, I totally understand that because I do a lot of values work with people and I often see people who have these really high energy words and then me, my personality, I'm, I'm not a high energy type word person. I'm more of a settled content. Those are kind of the words that naturally vibe with me and I just recently moved and oh my gosh, I finally have my office set back up and I'm feeling settled in my heart again. And for me, whoa, what a sense of well-being that comes with that. I have this deep need to feel settled. Um, so I understand the relationship with that word safe. Settled, settled means a similar thing to me. I really relate to that. And I think it's important as well to recognize that settled doesn't mean settling. No. It doesn't mean compromising. It means being like in full ownership of where you're at totally and it's like calm in my heart it's and I agree those words around connection and stuff and self-connection they all play a part in me feeling settled yeah. for sure yeah I think I think it's funny because in the self-development world I think there's a lot of there's a lot of opinions that you know if you're not striving and hustling and da 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 rah, rah, rah. <laughs> yeah and it's like I kind of feel like my heart's beating fast even talking about those things and that's not to say that I'm not gonna meet my goals that's not to say I'm not ambitious. I'm I'm very ambitious. My dreams are enormous. They're audacious. But do I need to be up till 3 a.m. doing them? Absolutely not. Because I just believe they're on their way because I'm seeing all the evidence that they are. I think that people willfully misunderstand words like settled and safe because they're seen as compromising or stagnating. But my life is more dynamic than I could ever have imagined. And safe is one of my words. I bet you're the same and settled's one of yours. So you're, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, like, oh, my God, you ought to be safe and settled. You try not feeling safe and settled and see how <laughs> it gets you. You try going into an investor meeting and asking for £10 million and see if you're going to get it when you're flying by the seat of your pants. It's not going to happen. I love it. Kindred spirits, Lucy. We're clearly kindred spirits. <laughs> this is you big time. 
Detours in life. Have you ever, can you think back to your life and think that was a bit of a detour, but it was a good lesson. Do you have any of those moments or one you'd like to share with us? Oh, detours in life. I do think I've definitely made some, with relationships, I think, and I'm not just talking kind of romantic, but I, when I, I did B-School about five years ago, for those that just don't know about B-School, it's um, an online business program run by an online entrepreneur called Marie Folio. She's brilliant. Check her out. And one of the things I got from there was a really strong view on the importance of collaboration, but I kind of misinterpreted it as in I had to have lots of joint ventures. I had to be on the people's blogs. They had to be on mine. Da, 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 da. And I kind of wrung myself out of ideas there by being so overtly in other people's work. And so a detour, I think, to kind of sum up, it was more of an idea rather than maybe a whole life direction. But I, I started thinking I had to be blogging all the time and, and such like that. And I'd spend like six hours writing blogs for my blog and other people's blogs, you know, rinsing time I didn't have. And my business wasn't earning any bloody money, by the way. <laughs> and, um, and I look at the detour of like sitting down, like writing all these blogs because I thought I should because I was in comparison mode of other people's businesses. And look at what a waste of time it was. Now, what that did teach me was that stay in your own lane. If blogging um, has never been the thing, but just one of the things, keep it as one of the things, Lucy, and really kind of evaluate why you're doing something as well. Because it led to me attracting quite a few energy vampires. Mm-hmm. And then that provided a lot of lessons in itself around having and, you know, having and then, you know, creating, keeping, excuse me, good boundaries. And so I would say it wasn't necessarily a detour in terms of maybe a career um, decision or you know packing my bags and going off to Antarctica for a year or anything like that but I definitely feel like I've had to come back and reverse from decisions that I've made in when it comes to why how where I wanted to take the business and they were big reversals <laughs> I like that stay in your lane Lucy yeah. okay. stay in your lane I, I think it's, it's so much overwhelm out there isn't there in terms you've got to be everywhere doing everything and you just haven't no you don't um, no, my business model is built on Word of mouth, um, and that's great because what better um, credentials? And also showing up wherever I show up, it being, well, I hope, interesting and relevant for people. So I post on Instagram most days, and I speak from the heart, and I hope what I'm sharing is helpful and relevant. But I do it because I want to share, not because I want to just be an Instagrammer. Because I'm not an Instagrammer. You know, I'm a, I'm a coach, I'm a mentor. I, I hear so you. I be a blogger. Don't blog. <laughs> or don't blog so graciously that it's to the detriment of your business. And like go into the pub with your mates. Yeah. Have some fun in life. Yeah. What's one thing in your day you can't do without? Earl Grey tea when I wake up. <laughs> simple. <laughs> that one was simple, straightforward. Just Earl. Yeah, you're I you're such a mouth. Oh, so perfect. <laughs> Lucy, this is the heavy one. How would you describe the soul? Undeniable. I've just come off a retreat. I've just come off a retreat this um, last few days in the south of France. It was absolute bliss. I was I was there for work. I was giving a workshop myself, but as part of that, I was very generously gifted a, a being an attendee and a guest at the retreat itself. And how would I describe the soul? Is I used to think it was um, something that would come in and come out, and that it it would require special access points, special keys, such as for example meditation or special trainings but now ultimately I know um it's undeniable and and it's undeniable in any of many things it's wisdom 
it's uh, faithfulness. I don't know if that's the word I think it is, but to me. And I think it's really important from my journey. I speak only of my own anecdote. I've just been teaching, I've been treating it as like almost like another thing. I'm going to connect with my soul. I'm going to write to my uncle. It's, it's, <laughs> it doesn't have to be hard work like that. And um, it reminds me of, I believe it is a C.S. Lewis um, quote, which is, you don't have a soul, you are a soul, you have a body. And I'm just coming off this retreat um, that I got back from last night. And that now is dropping in for me as a truth, which has been trying to land for a little while, but I'm finally getting it. So a word is undeniable because also I don't think you can or should deny your soul anything. It always knows. It always, always knows. So undeniable has a strength to it and a certainty to it that despite whatever's going on on planet Earth, and at the moment there's a lot to contend with, um, that, that souls are undeniable. So it's how we line ours up with the difference we're here to do in the world, which really is the biggest invitation of all. Oh, I, one of those, that quote's one of my all-time favourites. Okay, I want to talk about Oprah because I have a little bit of a crush on Oprah and have for years. I think back to the life class she did with Eckhart Tolle, her first one back in 2008. Oh, yeah. And that cemented my love of her. It started before that, but that cemented it. Wow. You're the first person I have ever spoken to that has actually spoken to her. So I having, I'm having a little bit of a little fangirl moment here because I suddenly feel like there's two degrees of separation between me and Oprah. Yeah. I want to hear about your experience of talking to Oprah and how did that happen and did it change anything for you? One of my absolute favorite experiences in my life. So it was an interesting one. And if anyone has ever wondered about non-attachment and the power of non-attachment and non-expectation and like dropping any entitlement, then this is it. I was sitting in, um, and I was working in all that, and I was working in an advertising agency um, pretty much full time at that time. And um, I was eating a sandwich at my desk. It was as glamorous as it sounds. And um, I was scrolling Twitter while I, you know, with one hand while I was holding the sandwich in my other. And I saw that heart at the own the own network has said, you know, if you're if you're an over, if you're overseas from America and you have watched uh, Life Class, can you share some feedback? And like you, loved Life Class. Um, Super Soul Sunday was something I would plan my day and week around. I still DVR it. I'm I'm addicted. <laughs> oh, it's just wonderful. And I it was at a time when I was waking up to self development and having an idea that I could if I could think or feel myself into comparison I could think and feel myself out of it which is ultimately what happened um I was really binging on that and really getting into the teachings and understanding that coaching is even a thing so it was a, I just absolutely loved it so to to be thinking that I could be helpful about what could come next in terms of the content I thought, well yeah I mean great so I I answered the I answered the survey and they said you know, if there are three things that um you would love to see covered on own or sorry on Oprah's live class what would they be and why and I just really waxed lyrical on things and at the time it was around comparison it was around um being pushed around boundaries and also um competition especially between women that was something that I'd noticed crop up a lot in my career and I just riffed on these things and then one Friday afternoon about a week later I got a call from America on my phone and I was working on a internationally famous makeup brand at that time on their brand strategy team so it wasn't unusual for me to get overseas calls um, at all different times of days you know people asking advice or booking meetings etc 
So I just answered the phone, um, seeing the American number, and they said, oh, hi, is that Lucy? I was like, yes. It's like, oh, my name's Stephanie. I'm calling from Harpo in Chicago. And, of course, I knew what Harpo was, which is um, Oak Frequency's production company. So we just wanted to follow up with a few questions on the survey you completed because it was one of the ones that was more detailed, and we really appreciate you taking the time. Of course, I was like, yeah, for sure. Ended up speaking to the lady, and um, we were talking about the topics that I highlighted. She said, you know, could you share some of your own anecdotes with me? I was like, oh, God, yeah, how long have you got? So off I went, sharing my anecdotes, and um, she said, how comfortable would you be about maybe following up with um, this and speaking about this on air? And I said, I think I'd be comfortable. And they said, would you be up for doing a screen test to be the one of the guests on Live Class that we um, invite in to join as part of um, like a panel while Oprah's with her guests? So my mouth dropped and I was like, uh, yes, I think I could be uh, available for that. <laughs> and so, um, so booked in the... Uh, internet test where they sit uh, like on Skype and practice some questions there tested my internet bandwidth and um she shared the dates with me and she's like can you appear on on these ones and of course it was a yes and I actually would have quit my job if or pulled a sickie if they hadn't made been flexible but thankfully work were very flexible there it was absolutely brilliant and um so and so I got the details and off I went and I appeared I think it was on five episodes total um, as a Skype guest on um, Oprah's live class. And she was a dream. She was really, really funny, really, really welcoming. Her production team are exactly as you would imagine and have the same loving, careful, soulful energy because I didn't get to speak to her until we were actually on air together. And you know, joking around in the off-air time as well was really good fun too. Um, she has the most amazing energy. She's everything you think she's going to be and more. Oh, like did it change anything for you it changed things for me in terms I really feel like I can kind of do anything because talk Mm. about starting with press in reverse (laughs) loads of friends and I've got a couple of friends that like multi best-selling authors and they can't get Oprah's team to even answer their emails so when I so you know considering that and where I am now, I think, gosh, I was so I'm grateful for the opportunity. But it was also, a, you know, a big lesson in teaching. What it gave me was an ability, to, a, a massively deep um, belief in just saying yes, just turn up, just see what happens. Don't be, don't be attached to the outcome. There would have been millions and millions of people that would have seen that tweet saying, "Can you ask? Can you ask these questions?" They would have thought, "No, I haven't got time, or I can't be bothered." And I did. And I didn't know what the result would be. And I know that it's a massive trigger for people as well, because I've been told. So it's, uh, <laughs> I speak, you know, it's great to be having like a really positive conversation about it. But I know there are some people that have massive comparisonitis and a lot of jealousy around that experience that I had. But that's their shit to own, not mine. <laughs> too perfect. It, yeah, yeah it, taught, it taught me about non-attachment, about just saying yes, about believing it's possible. I like because- that. I like the idea of like, just show up and... Yeah sort of believe in possibility, but don't be attached. Like, just show up and be you. Exactly, because I would have continued watching it, and I still do, like you. I watch it on YouTube, watch it live, watch it on Facebook Live. It's still a big part of my, um, you know, it's uh, still a big part of my life. I absolutely love it, and it was an amazing experience. But there would have been, a, like I said, if it had said, if you'd like to be in a guest on Oprah's Live class as one of the six um, people being 
you know, uh, transmitted to a global audience. I think they used to get viewing chips into like the thirties of billion, uh, millions, excuse me. So huge audience. I wouldn't have necessarily been selected. Mm. So I think it was an element of fear. Just, just show up. Why not? That's another, like one of my mantras. Well, why not? Just show why up because why not? I like yeah. it. Okay. I'm going to wrap things up and ask you one final question, Lucy. If you were to leave our listeners with something that could help them take one step closer to loosening the grip of comparisonitis, (laughs) what would it be? I would say the one step would be look at where your comparison is showing up because it's trying to leave you clues. So, for example, if you can't bear before and after accounts on Instagram and seeing other people's positive health journeys and you want one too, it's time to look at the so what insight of that comparison. Because maybe you're not irritated by all the before and after pictures. You're actually irritated, disappointed, lacking confidence and scared of having a physical and health transformation that you so yearn for. So that can be really uncomfortable. I do it every day of my life. So I'm in the trenches with you. If you're going to do one thing in terms of loosening the grip on comparisonitis, I would say um, look at what your comparison trigger, which will be different for every single person. Look what your comparison trigger is trying to show you so that you can take the next imperfect step towards your vision of a comparison-free life. So using the anecdote before about the travel, what is your trigger and rage to do with other people going to Bali again got to say about your appetite for adventure? Because maybe recognize that appetite adventure means that you'll open a savings account and instead of spending money on magazines or, you know, tickets to the cinema that you forget to use, et cetera, et cetera. You can start putting that money away. And before you know it, you've got a flight ticket there yourself. Isn't Lucy a joy? I don't think I've laughed so hard in any other episode I have recorded. If you want to find out more about Lucy and her work around comparison-free living, head over to her website, which is www.proofcoaching.com. That is proofcoaching.com. If you'd like to know about her book, Higher Selfie, or that book that she mentioned by Genevieve Davis, you can head over to my website, www.thrive.how forward slash podcast 47 to find links on where you can purchase either of those. If you enjoyed the podcast, I'd appreciate if you could tell one of your friends about it. That would make my day. Till next week, keep thriving, beautiful people.